the various ways that black cultural production um, in the United States especially um, tells us a lot about the political project of blackness. Writing from the beginning of the 21st century, Herman Gray writes that, quote, for perhaps the first time, a small but highly visible cohort of black cultural workers enjoy access to institutional resources, especially the forms of legitimization, prestige, and recognition that such institutions bestow. Much of what this course will discuss is how this current moment um, reflects both historically as well as culturally um, to bear directly on questions of power, specifically the dominant institutions um, that have access to forms of black culture, whether that is music, film, sport, etc. This is of course different from when we talk about black political thought in this course. Throughout these podcasts, I'll reference page numbers when I am quoting um, from the particular texts that are around. I know that people may be accessing these texts in different ways, so I will actually reference the page number of the text rather than the page number of the course packet. Herman Gray says on page 14 that, quote, my point is simply this, the successful, quote unquote, occupation and use of institutional cultural spaces and the political claims that emanate from them complicate rather than simplify the very notion of black cultural politics. Much of what this course will entail is thinking through what that means. What does it mean that this successful occupation, right? For example, the fact that hip hop is the most popular genre of music in the United States currently How does that complicate rather than simplify this notion? There's no longer this idea of visibility, recognition, and representation. Herman Gray is offering a provocation that says this rather complicates things rather than simplifying this acknowledgement by dominant um, cultural norms and industries. Gray writes that he views this institutional recognition as well as the media celebrations that accompany it in very political terms. And I invite you as we go through this course to do the same. He sees these black cultural production moments as a site of political disputes over representation, meaning, and the valuation of blackness as a cultural exchange. So thinking about that as, as, a, as both um, strategies and struggles, I think offer us something here. And throughout this piece, what Gray is doing is mapping out all of these various political and social conditions that structure black cultural production as it stands today. One of the most important things that we'll discuss and debate in this class is also what he talks about in terms of black cultural formation. Who has a rightful claim on the particular version of blackness as representative, right? Who represents African-Americans in this country? Who can lay claim? Um, Does one need to have two black American parents, right? Is it a particular sound, genre, movement, history, food? Does it sound like a certain kind of cadence in poetry? Does it come off the page in a particular way in literature? Can we look at art and say that is African-American art in one way to to many ways represent the whole? As Gray and when we get to Stuart Hall and then even Tressie Cotton, we see this various distinction where they're all saying, no, this is a trap. Gray writes that quote on page 16, 
that black American cultural representation sustain their global appeal, circulating, borrowing, aligning, and appropriating a wide array of traditions, formations, memories, and desires is deeply disturbing and problematic for some members of the black Atlantic diaspora, end quote. So what he's saying there is a way that black cultural formation in many ways ruffles the feathers by refusing to be one thing. The constant mix and match, the cross aesthetic, he says, um, is what Dick Hepdige, a cultural studies scholar, calls a cut and mix aesthetic. So this idea is that it is in many ways instantly diasporic in the ways that black cultural formation in the United States is borrowing, taking, creating, molding, melding, messing with. What he defines, what Herman Gray defines as a cultural formation is the social condition of these appearances, the institutions that both inform them and spread them is what he means when he says cultural formation. So that is a cultural form may take shape, but it is not fully formed until it enters into these institutions to spread more broadly and takes on a larger cultural meaning and representation. This course, like Herman Gray's analysis, considers what the social, economic, and technological features of Black cultural formation in the United States um, tell us about the political and cultural affect and effect, both historically and in the contemporary moment. So thinking about this, he says, you know, through both a high-low culture, right, whether it's social media, whether it's TikToks, or whether it's thinking about art that's in museums is considered highbrow. Um, there's a way that there is this constant mediation, circulation um, of black cultural formation and black cultural production, as well as other cultures, obviously. Um, and so thinking about the ways that it's constituted, negotiated and enacted is your job in this course. That is the thing that you will explore and we will explore together. Herman Gray writes that in discursive terms, he, quote, uses blackness as a cultural trope and social category over which competing claims are made and registered. So every time I use the term blackness in this course, this is what I mean. It is not a shorthand for black people. It is not a shorthand for um, any sort of uh, static understanding of what it means to be black in the United States. Rather, it's a cultural, social, and political claim um, that is being made about the lives and bodies of African Americans in this country. As he writes, it also spills over, leaks over, shares, exchanges with the diasporic conditions that are, are of everyone of the African diaspora, right? So it's not limited to the borders of the United States. When I use the term blackness, as Gray does, I'm speaking about what is being heaped into a certain cultural form that we're discussing. What kind of political project is occurring? These are competing claims, he writes. This idea that there is no one way to understand blackness. Rather, there are a lot of claims to blackness. It is intentionally contradictory. Thinking about one of the most complicated sentences, I believe in the piece on page 21, Gray writes, materially and institutionally, the organizational and economic relationships that characterize culture, media, entertainment, information-based global corporations parallel the cultural and political relations of representation. Black cultural expression is increasingly caught in and thus mediated by and mediates new so-called media synergy, multiple levels of intertextual and organizational complementarity and exchange. 
It's a really tough sentence, right? Or two sentences, I should say. One of the ways to read what he's saying here is thinking about the various ways there's this very tangible black cultural forms, right? One of the things we can think about is formation, for example, right? Beyonce's formation or eliminate as a visual album. My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. so many organizational and economic relationships that make these things happen, right? So whether we're thinking about Beyonce um, as a brand, right? Interacting with HBO, which is also a brand to release Lemonade. Uh, whether we're thinking about the release of Formation, um, which offers this very specific Southern Black Gothic representation of Blackness. Um, if we're thinking about that being released the day before the Super Bowl, where Beyonce then performs it during the halftime show, um, where the headliner is Coldplay, but Beyonce kind of steals the scene of performing the song we just heard about for the first time the day before, releasing her tour, the commercial break after, um, really bringing both the um, tangible blackness of the Southern Gothic, like the visual representation of Beyonce in New Orleans on the cop car, um, seeing the young boy with his hands up in front of the police, thinking about what that means, um, and then think about what it means as a political project that occurs during one of the largest media days um, in this country, right? One of the largest media events all year. So all of these things are converging together. And so Gray would read this um, through both the economic relationships of an HBO or the NFL or the various sponsors like Pepsi, for example. Um, and thinking about that um, up alongside the cultural and political re um, relations of representation, right? So what these actual visuals of Beyonce's dancers and the berets mean when we know this is a Pepsi-sponsored event or the NFL's relationship to blackness, right? He notes on page 22, quote, black musicians, especially in the genre of hip-hop and image makers, especially videographers, have commented on the centrality of race to the operation of the criminal justice system and the law. So even thinking about what Beyonce does in this moment can be read in a variety of ways. Sticking with the same Beyonce comparison since we're here, on page 23, Gray writes that, quote, the production of the black body um, as spectacle. Discursively, this operation depends on the production of the black body as the site of pleasure and adoration, fear and menace, end quote. So thinking about that, what that, that spectacle means, right? The Super Bowl itself is a spectacle. But thinking about the production of the black body as a site of pleasure and adoration, fear and menace, right? The multiplicity of the ways that the black body can be read is really important when we think about the ways that people loved, hated, um, talked about Beyonce's performance during the Super Bowl halftime show. Really speaks to the various ways that the spectacle is written across the black body. This is, of course, important to think about um, across a variety of things, not just music and obviously not just with Beyonce. Historically, especially thinking about black women's bodies in this country, Gray writes that the black body has been more often than not functionally symbolic um, to signal the erosion of family, single-parent households, and the threat to a patriarchal moral order. Black women's bodies, he writes, operate culturally to mark the boundaries of female heterosexuality, motherhood, family, desire, and beauty. End quote. 
So I'd like to think about that as we go along. What does this mean in terms of things like black masculinity, which Gray brings up as an important aspect of this hypervisibility of blackness within the US? What does it mean to be in this particular moment where we are thinking critically more and more about what these forms of representation mean, right? So Oscar So White is an example of a way that's focused specifically on representation rather than the actual um, lived experience, the everyday lived experience of institutional racism. Rather, it is a reflection based on what kinds of cultural forms are valued, right? It becomes a political project in terms of thinking about the Academy Awards, rather than something else we would typically see um, as institutionalized racism, such as police brutality, mortgage rates, um, and access to education. This is reflected in Herman Gray's work on page 26, where he says, quote, the point is clear made in popular culture where black entertainers, athletes, and spokespersons are more visible and whose impact on the American popular imagination is registered more immediately, end quote. So thinking about that, there's a reason that that hashtag has left, it has weight, even as we though we may realize there are things that have bigger impact in terms of our day to day, there is a way that the hyper visibility of popular culture lends itself to a particular representation to aspire to or to contest. One of the things that I'd like to think about in terms of this piece is what Herman Gray says when he says the new global structure that now defines the modern culture and entertainment industry is not merely the only game in town, but the only game on the planet, end quote. That's on page 30. One of the things I think is important to think about is what does it mean for this to be the dominant way that we consume media, this new global structure, right? We're so steeped in it, we don't even think about it. It's this every day where I can turn on my computer and watch music videos from around the world where I can watch YouTube videos from people all over the world experiencing all kinds of things where I can understand the global pandemic that we're currently in through multiple channels, through multiple ways of knowing, seeing, being. I can talk to people that are on the ground there, that are in their homes. There's a way that I can connect with folks even as I'm in isolation myself, right? So thinking about this new global structure, it's so tangible and real to us now, right? We're living in the midst of all of this. But what does it mean to think about black cultural production and the cultural formations we associate with blackness in the United States um, through this lens of this global structure of the entertainment industry, especially, but also the ways that our politics operate, the ways that we think about food. How does that work for us? I think this is continuously important in this course because we're reminded on page 31, quote, commercial culture is an important site of cultural politics because it is where popular meanings are made, loyalties enlisted, and identifications articulated, end quote. In quoting George Lipset, Herman Gray imagines the possibilities of a counter-hegemonic cultural politics that operates on the ground of global capitalism without conceding that such terrain is always on the side of capital. There's a lot there. Let's break down that sentence. So one of the things he says, the possibility of a counter-hegemonic cultural politics. Let's first define what hegemony is because that'll be something that is constantly recurring in this class. Hegemony is a term that comes from Antonio Gramsci. He's attributed with that. And Gramsci is this Italian um, activist who is under fascism, put into prison, and writes all of these notebooks, all of these books, um, while he's imprisoned. 
And so thinking about what Gramsci is saying with hegemony is hegemony is the way that he's thinking about how under fascism, people aren't forced to do something as much as they are melded into a culture where dominant hierarchies tell them what is normal, what to think, how to feel. So this is not this um, forceful um, hand, right? This isn't being beaten over the head in order to conform. Rather, it's the way that cultural norms are established and maintained, right? So when we establish things, we'll hear this term all the time, hegemonic masculinity, for example, right? So the idea is this thing that no one can quite aspire to in terms of thinking about masculinity, right? It's like Rambo, right? It's this this mythical thing that none of us can actually achieve. And it also works for things like hegemonic femininity, right? It's this, as this status, the standard that no, we all fall short of, right? But it maintains this hierarchy of who is manly enough, who is a real woman, right? These are the ways that we are, in many ways through media especially, uh, acculturated to what these norms and values should be. It tells us who is valuable, what is valuable, what we should pay attention to, who we should want to be like. Influencer culture can't operate without a sense of hegemony that tells us who we should want to be like, who we should aspire to be like. So the racial, gendered, and class norms that are seeped in hegemony within the United States inform these various things. So what, in many ways, the possibility of a counter-hegemonic cultural politics is one that goes against the grain. It's one that pushes back on what we're kind of forced to accept or asked to accept. He says that operates on the ground of global capitalism without conceding that such terrain is always on the side of capital. To bring our Beyonce example back, right? What does it mean to have this counter-hegemonic cultural politic, right? Where Beyonce is on a, a drowning cop car in New Orleans. What does that mean to both invoke Hurricane Katrina and think about what is done to a poor black body. And that's in Katrina. What does it mean to drown a police car? What does that visual mean when we understand it through a global capitalism that is going to circulate that image? And how do we understand that without giving in to the idea um, that this thing is always on the side of capital? Can there be a counter-hegemonic politic that does it in many ways reinforce capital and global capitalism in a particular way. So one of the things as we think about the various media products that we listen to, the music that we'll hear on our various playlists for ES250, is to think about what does a, a counter-hegemonic cultural politic look like without giving into the idea that this terrain is always on the side of capital. Capitalism is currently the framework in which this operates but how can we think about this cultural terrain as being on something other than the side of capital? That is a question I think we have to understand. What are the conditions of possibility for a counter-hegemonic practice? Where do you see those things? And you can think about this in terms of both um, the everyday culture, the media, TV, film that we consume, right? That is steeped in it. We might watch something that's on Netflix, but it might offer us a new perspective, something that goes against the ring grain of our understanding of a particular group of people, a particular moment in time? How do we move beyond understanding that as something that is you know, potentially a provocation, something that pushes back, while also understanding it as part of this low global capitalism that seems impossible to get away from? 
All right, well, that's all I have for today. I hope this has been in any way somewhat informative. And I'll uh, I'll